Hey there, Christy Lynn Hanchi on AWOL Zebra, and I always get excited every time I have someone joining us. And today we are going to be chatting with Kim Ryberg. Hey there, Kim. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you doing today? Outstanding. Now, I am so excited. Now, we met because I did a post and I was asking for individuals to share their story in our group. And you have something that you want to bring to people's attention, but you also suffer with this illness, do you not? Yes, I do. And I just got diagnosed pretty recently, too. So when I say that it's been life changing, uh, I'm not kidding. Now, what now we discussed this, what I uh, see, I'm 53, you're 35, right? Yes, correct. Yep. Okay. Now, I just got diagnosed two and a half years ago. When was your diagnosis? Uh, about the same length of time. So it's been about two and a half years ago, I'd say now. Okay, so yep. I, I pretty I, recently, I mean, for how long I've been dealing with symptoms, which is since birth, right? Okay, well, see, this is what I find interesting. And this is why I was so excited when you contacted me was because we both, what I liked was, well, I'm sorry that we had to meet this way, but I always right. make things happen for a reason. Yes. And I was diagnosed, we were relatively diagnosed around the same time, but there's that difference in our ages. Yeah. I, did not start having problems until after I gave birth in 2008. Now, before I was diagnosed, you know, I had the flexibility, I had the endometriosis, right. the gastro, all of that stuff, but nothing that stopped me in my tracks and prevented me from being able to perform a daily function until after I gave birth. So well past, you know, my 40s, you know, 50s right. when I was diagnosed. You have been actually dealing with issues since birth. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And it's not just the hypermobility, unfortunately. Um, like I've been on this literally decades long journey to try and find what's the problem with my GI and stomach issues. Turns out it's uh, very complicated. And that's one of the things with EDS that I've really learned about is that the GI really doesn't function well for some people. And uh, fortunately and unfortunately, it's not a visible problem right. either. Um, and that's like one of the things about EDS is on paper. And even looking at us, we look very fine and healthy and functional. And unfortunately, that's just not the reality. So, yes, I remember being um, a very small child. And my mother told me that I used to cry and hold her pant leg and say, I'm really hungry, mom. So I've had a lot of these issues since birth. Now, that's not to say that they're as severe as some people I know who are on the TPN and feeding tubes and can't physically eat food and things of that nature. So, you know, I'm grateful for what I have, but that's not to say that it's not been a pretty intense struggle. And having no diagnosis early on was obviously quite difficult for myself and my extended family as well. No, I, I can only imagine. And I mean, because you bring up the gastro issues. The, the only thing that I like I'm grateful for is that now I can look at my son and I can see things that were telltales for me that nobody knew right. because they didn't know about it. And right. now, for the fact that you are finding out now, I grew up the, the gas, the, the GI issues were just horrible. I was misdiagnosed constantly with like right. IBS. It didn't matter. Uh, yeah. I, I had three bottles of calcium mitigate 
and a colonoscopy and they still couldn't do what they needed to because they couldn't, you know, take care of me because of the GI issue. And they just kind of pushed it under the rug. Did you feel that your GI issues, because they weren't visible, because they weren't, did you feel like they were kind of pushed? Absolutely. I felt like that was one of the many things that was pushed aside. Um, the, it also didn't help. So I worked in the modeling industry because I happen to have that EDS phenotype that's tall, thin, and then I wasn't eating. Right. So I'm already thinner than my natural frame. And it was a job that was relatively easy for me to do. But the assumption when I would go to shoots or be backstage at a runway show and also like having a medical emergency actively and putting on six inch heels and walking down a runway like a crazy person. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had had a crazy time of it. Um, And that, you know, the assumption always was that I was anorexic or bulimic because of the industry I worked in because of the way that I appeared, because it was very obvious that I wasn't a healthy person who ate food by the way that you can see you know, uh, pieces of my anatomy, like my kneecaps were really pronounced and my elbows were really pronounced. And so the assumption always was, it was me doing it to myself for control in an anorexia bulimia way. And the assumption was always that that was the root issue was that I was not wanting to be overweight or having some complex about weight when really as a person now, I'm finally at the healthy weight for my BMI, for my height, finally at age 35. Oh my gosh, what, tell me how in the world, because I, I've been back yeah. this myself and, and I apologize because I've been dealing um, with, you know, individuals talking about, uh, they're complaining in the group that we're in, right. know, there yes. people are commenting about diets and stuff and they're saying it triggers them because, so I apologize if anybody out there is listening and this is possibly something that doesn't right or does affect you, but this is a legitimate concern. There are some of us that in EDS that we can't lose weight, you can't exercise, and they get disgruntled because they can't build muscle, they can't do anything to lose weight. And then there are those of us, I mean, I lost 23 pounds in two weeks. Right, just like from snapping, the same with me. I actually have to overeat so that I have enough weight to lose. That's been a huge change because before when that happened, so what it's been for me is actually EDS, yes, and that my GI system just doesn't work very well, like functionally, structurally, it doesn't do the peristalsis, it doesn't squeeze the food through, things aren't moving really well. So a lot of it is the actual anatomy of my body because of partially EDS. But a huge part of it also is that I also have that mast cell, the allergy issue. Uh Uh-huh. And when I say that that is extremely life-threatening and very dangerous and being on this specialty mast cell diet, which included, I did the allergy testing, the IgE, where they poke you hundreds of times. Uh-huh, I did that. <laughs> yeah. Finally figured out, oh, yes, I'm allergic to like garlic and onion and all this stuff that's put out on a regular basis and is in basically everything. So as I've changed for the diet for mast cell and reduced a lot of my triggers, then guess what? My GI is calming down. Things are starting to structurally function for the first time ever. Wow. And that's taking getting a GI who's familiar with EDS, which, of course, there's only a few of them in the country, in the world, right? That's part of the problem. And then, I mean, well, I can't because I'm just wondering, 
did you like all of a sudden have allergies out of the blue by chance? They, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My late twenties, I don't know what happened with my body, but something shifted. Like I would say that from about age 18 to about like 28, I was functional enough, let's say that I could limp along. I never really worked full time comfortably. I mean, I would have to do it, but it wasn't pleasant for me. But then I started to do the modeling. So it was only a part time job. It was intense work during the day, but then you could take, I could take a whole week off to rest because it paid more per hour and per day, right? And that was around the time, my late 20s is when I noticed that it's either the hormonal shift or just as you're aging, things, some things get worse. Um, and that's when I started to notice that the GI stuff went from, I'm functional and if I'm careful, I'm okay to, I'm absolutely not functional and can't eat anything without GI issues. And that's when I started on a very long, almost decade long journey (laughs) that I'm now at the tail end of. Oh my Um, goodness. And it's because I moved to Los Angeles too. Um, That's that's what I was going to ask you because I I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a small town and, you know, and that's how I grew up in a very rural, small town what you would might describe as a medical desert, no access to a hospital, no access to specialists, no access to anybody who knows anything but the basic. Your arm is broken. You put it back together and put it in a sleeve. Right. It is basic medical care where I'm from. And, that's, and so to have a complex, rare genetic disease, even if they want to help me, they cannot. Well, what I'm wondering is, is the fact, because for me, it would happen that one day I took aspirin and all of a sudden I ended up in the hospital because I couldn't breathe. I found out I was allergic to aspirin. So that's right. how my journey has been. My, my, I call it my trip, actually. My trip has been all these things have happened that take the, just take regular doctors off track because they're like, okay, you weren't allergic to aspirin yesterday, but now you're allergic to aspirin. I did pass a drug test and smoke a joint at the same time because my body, you know, they're like, okay, we don't understand what's going on with your body. So Mm -hmm. were you having all of these things happening and growing up and you just had no, I mean, nobody can help you. I mean, they didn't say no help, no frame of reference. I was obviously also, because this was rural Montana in the 1990s, I was gaslit a lot. The idea there, because most people are born on a ranch, most people there, you have kids to do ranch work. You have kids so that they can help you fix a fence, shovel the horse poop, like, you know, corral the, the animals together and help feed them. And all. it's a very intensive work that you're doing, real work manual labor and so the expectation also at first my parents I think they really thought she doesn't want to do that right right she's just not wanting to contribute and that was actually more difficult than the doctors oh yeah is understanding and having that um perspective from an adult and saying remember that time when I told you that I couldn't hold up a fence and that it hurt me and remember that time when I told you hey I can't lift this 50 pound bale of hay over my head because at the point that time I weighed 50 pounds I've always been taller and thinner no body mat mass no muscle mass so it's really really difficult 
because even if I could find a physician, the likelihood that they would gaslight me for thinking that I just want to get out of chores was extremely high. And how do you convince somebody this is real? Definitely. And, and I mean, especially when you're a young child and yeah. but if you don't mind me asking anything, I ask you if you don't want to comment on it. Just yeah, of course. But yeah, no how, problem. how are you? I mean, I'm with the exception of my husband and my son, I'm disconnected from my family by choice. How are things with you and your family? I'm very lucky in that I have a family that is showing up for me. So for example, one of the things I'm trying to get done now, because I've tr been trained all this time also as a musician with these terrible hypermobile non-functional hands. Um, so I'm trying to get, for example, hand surgery, like the reconstructive with a media specialist to fix that, right? And I called them and I said, hey, it's happening and you're coming this day and we're meeting here and we're doing that. And they say, okay. So to their credit, they didn't understand, I think, how serious it was and how life altering it was going to be when I was younger, but they're showing up now. That's awesome. And now, did you move from, from yes. Hannah just for medical care? I moved actually first to the Seattle area to go to college, which was its own separate experience. Uh, of, I think that's all. Uh, so I've got tons of yes. That's like my yes. <laughs> but um, so basically I moved there to go to college and then stayed around the Seattle area for a while. And then the Seattle area, I had gone through every single specialist, every available person who specializes in any of these issues. So whether you're talking the GI or the allergies um, and I just wasn't getting anywhere. And I thought, well, I guess if I'm spending this much money in healthcare and I'm not getting anywhere, I'm spending this much money in rent. Seattle is not cheap. I said, I guess I'm moving to Los Angeles. And it wasn't for medical care per se, but I knew in the depths of my being, in my heart of hearts, something's wrong. Right. And I also thought, only LA or New York is going to be a place where I can figure out what that is. Now, because I tried so hard, right? Found that because I know it's a bigger place, but yeah, what what I am doing to get myself better? Um, there are very few individuals in the United States that practice working on your fascia, and right. that's something that's not done everywhere. So even though you're in a bigger city. Is it the end all be all? Are you finding everything? Is it or? I, I mean, I would say no. Okay. Unfortunately. And that's even Los Angeles. I mean, here we have Cedar Sinai, UCLA, these major non for profit hospital systems that are some of the best hospitals in the world. And even now, today, say I have an emergency where I can't stop, I don't know, throwing up, and I have all the GI symptoms, and I go to the main campus. Beverly Hills Cedar Sinai Emergency Room. There's still no guarantees, even with eight years of medical records at Cedar Sinai that say I have these diseases, that when I show up there, the first thing they see is she's a young person who looks fine. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I would say no. I think it's more important to have a doctor who specializes in this. And once I found, I work with the team at Casa Kalina. They have a whole EDS program here. It's in Pomona outside of Los Angeles. I work with Dr. Fagan. He's, I think, the foremost EDS specialist in the American Southwest because people come from Arizona and yeah. Utah and Nevada. I've read about So that. because I've got in touch with him, that's what's changed. Because I've got in touch with the team of EDS PTs and occupational therapists, and they're telling me, here's a way that you can adapt 
cooking. Here's a way that you can adapt typing on the computer. And as they're teaching me, this is how you live with this. And you don't have to give up on your goals. You just have to maybe adjust them or be creative about problem solving, but that there is a way for things to happen for you. And you also don't have to do it alone because I think that's one of the most important things I've learned from this EDS specialty program, like the speech language pathologist. She always says, you've been your own doctor. You don't have to be your own doctor anymore. And the first time I heard that, I just left the room and totally fell apart. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm, that's been my experience, right? No, I'm getting ready. I feel like I'm, I want to well up and cry thinking about it as well, because uh, it, listening to you talk about like the speech, it, it I, being a disc jockey and losing my ability to talk was, I mean, that yeah. was. Oh, I can't even imagine. And I was like, okay, what do I do? And that was another reason why I'm like, I have to start this podcast. I can't physically yes. get up and go to work anymore, but I try to share. And so I was able yes. to do that. Very few people that I speak to have mentioned speech. And the fact that you did, what, what took yes. you into speech therapy? So basically the CDS program, they're fabulous. They go through every single part of your body that might be dysfunctional with which with and with EDS, your collagen. I mean, that's everything, right? Right. True. Um, so everybody has different issues, but they have a whole protocol at this EDS PT program out in Pomona at Casa Kalina Hospital. And they go, take you through GI. They take you through speech and language. They take you through occupational therapy. They have hand specialists who only work with EDS. They have um, aquatic physical therapy. So they have so many different modalities for EDS. And as I've learned, actually, that really like a, a singer. So I was training like an Olympic athlete this whole time to be a musician. And now I just like lay around my house and go to doctor's appointments. So I totally understand that feeling of like, I can't believe I spent my entire life practicing and now my hands don't work. Yeah, no. What it, am I supposed to do? <laughs> no, exactly. And, and well, one thing you didn't bring up, there's anyone that spe specifically works on fascia at this ESPT thing? Not that I'm aware of, but they do work with your bodily alignment. So with the physical therapy, the first like year you do PT, they're just trying to get your muscles to relax and to break up those scar, to break up those knots, that scar tissue, that inappropriate fascia. So it's not like they don't do that, but it's not a specialist in the way that the person you see is, it sounds like. Gotcha. No, I just, because I, I'm just so determined because now that I've realized that, that my gastro issues, and that's why I was, I was going to ask you about this was that it was actually fascial adhesions that right. had moved away, you know, the way our stomach is aligned inside and that's why things don't go through properly. Right. And, that totally makes sense. Yeah. And to have somebody work on my abdomen, I mean, I, I'm having an appetite for the first time in right. years and yeah. like that. And the fact that people don't, they don't, there are so many people that I feel that, that do post about my legs do this, my feet do this, yes. you know, yes. Tired yeah. from this, but I don't see too many people posting the. And I'm not trying to be rude, but the getting better, the positive side, the, the focusing. Yes, on, it's like I see. Yeah, the, I agree. 
Yeah. Okay. Because I'm not trying to be rude and I'm not critiquing. It's just, I always feel like if you sit there and focus on, you know, is this, Uh, this doesn't work, that doesn't work. And it can really, um, that's probably been, that's what I was going to say next. Actually, it's probably been the hardest thing is that it's mental. It's emotional. Oh gosh. It is one of the, it's waking up and knowing that at some point something's going to dislocate. Yes. There's, I'm doing everything I can do. That's been helpful, but it's also extremely painful and hard too, right? Yeah, it is. It's mentally exhausting to sit there. It's like, you know, okay, I've got so much time in the day. And and I refuse to believe that I'm I'm still working on this whole fatigue thing. I'm like, this is my next. Okay, I've been working on the pain, on my ability. And now it's like, I refuse to believe that I have to give up because my body is tired, but I feel like it's because we haven't used our bodies properly. The muscle strangled by fascia. So yeah, extra work. You kind of feel me there. (laughs) It's everything. It's so important that when I learned about, I mean, thankfully I'm very lucky in a way I had a very hypermobile aware uh, yoga teacher, for example. And she'd always come to me and say, how does that, she'd ask me, how does that not hurt? It looks like it's painful. It should be painful. That was one of my earliest red flags, right? This person who all they do is work on bodily alignment all day long, comes up to me and says, ooh, your shoulder looks really dysfunctional right now. (laughs) You know, and that kind of stuff. And like, as I'm fixing that, because that's also what I'm doing is this Muldowney protocol of physical therapy for the Ehlers-Danlos, which I highly, 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 highly recommend for just strengthening stability, getting your body to be in alignment. And as it's staying in alignment, which it's now doing one year after starting this program already, I'm seeing results. So I also tell people, is it difficult? Absolutely not going to lie and tell you it's the easiest thing I've ever done, but it's worth the effort. It, it, it is. And, and what you're saying is it, and like the Madani protocol, it, it bums me out because I, I can't like, I know everybody like some no. people start their mornings out doing bridges. That's right. what uh, two weeks ago was that I did bridging and it knocked my pelvis out, my quadriceps. Right. Yes. I mean, and it's so easy that it can happen. Exactly. But it's, but it's, you can't sit there and focus on the what ifs, what, what if this happens, what if that happens and you have to have a good, uh, it's, it's mentally exhausting because you wake up knowing again that you're on limited. Yeah. And you're not sure what all you can do. And you then- have a limit of time, energy, stamina. You have a limit of um, just even your body physically being able to do, I mean, anything. We're talking like sitting up, standing, preparing food, the focus of trying to have a conversation with somebody. Like today, I'm pretty functional, but sometimes even this, you, I'm sure you understand this, even this amount of talking it takes more for my brain and the brain fog is for me the thing that's dragging the thing that's coming along last yeah but it is slowly improving as my body's not working so hard to sit to stand in one place see that's that's what i was wondering about because i 
I, I hear so many people like they make excuses and they say this. And, and when I found out that I had this you know, illness, my main thing was, okay, I stopped talking. I stopped walking and I'm in yeah. all over body pain. I need to fix that. So yeah. that's what I was trying to do. And then every modality that I started set me back. I tried PT. It set me back. I tried this. Mm-hmm. I'm at the point where I, I've had surgeries, I've had neurostimulators insert and removed. And for me, the only thing that works is ice exercising and working on my fascia. But yeah, that's the thing too. I mean, I want to talk about the biomechanics of the body for a second. Okay. So imagine you got your bicep. Imagine that your fist is all the way by your shoulder. Your bicep is clenched, right? Right. Now imagine your biceps been clenched for 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 years. And then you want to strengthen that muscle. <laughs> you cannot do that because it's in such a hypertonic, super tight mode that you actually have to work on the fascia to release it and right. do all those body, all that body work, like what you're doing to be able to strengthen and build appropriate muscle. So that's also been part of my journey too is like, how do I break up that fascia? How do I break up the scar tissue in my abdomen, for example? One other thing that I have is the endometriosis as well. Yeah, been the, yeah, got it. So I had two surgeries, not understanding that surgery for EDS is like, you know, especially in your abdomen, very, very intensive. But I didn't have a choice at that point. I was in so much pain. I couldn't figure out what the pain was caused from. Turns out a lot of it is from EDS. Yes. How about? And then as I've gotten that fixed and under control, then my pelvis is stable for the first time ever. Let me ask, how bad is your scar? Like, could you touch it? Uh, oh, some of them are, they're that keloid paper. They came apart. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm so excited that you mentioned this because I just, because we seem to have similar body types with, yes. and I'm not going off on fashion here, but I will just tell you this when you're, when you're a little bit skinnier, the fascia sticks to the bone because it doesn't right. have anything else to stick to. So yeah. because I had my pregnancy on top of the endometriosis surgery, oh my gosh. the other That's intense, it, my stomach was all messed up. Well, For I sure. just had, the fascial adhesion ripped off of the bone. It was the most painful experience, but the blood, you could see the blood flowing. I put a picture up in one of our groups uh, because it was, no doctor could help me. The surgery made me worse, but it was the fact that you yourself can work on your fascia at home. And that's yes, do because that adhesion in your admin that you're dealing with is part of the GI issues and it makes yes. it so much worse for you. And, Absolutely. you know, then you're, you've got your, your muscles are already working hard. Then the fascia is strangling them. So the right muscles yeah. are working. I just found out that my tricep muscle was out of place. And that was what was pulling when I started getting fatigue, causing my right side of my face to droop. Right. And it's so insane that all it takes is one muscle in your body with this disease for everything to totally fall apart. Exactly. And the fact that you've been dealing with this, that's yeah. what's so fascinating to me is that yeah. 
I dealt with stuff, but it wasn't until after my pregnancy that it was triggered. You know, the endometriosis, the GI, right. I had all of that, but you right. with those, those are just the symptoms. Those, this just the, the symptoms, they come and go. You can kind of predict, okay, around my ovulation and around my period, I'm going to be maybe down for the count. And you can give yourself that extra time to rest and recuperate and you know, you can do things like a bioidentical hormonal replacement therapy. There are available options to treat that. In some ways, it's just that what that does to your body when you're already weakened and in a state with EDS where you're so hyper fragile that I tell people I'm like, I'm made of glass and I'm not joking. You have to be extremely careful with how you even like hug me. I'm sorry. That's how it is. No, it's, it's, it's true. It's absolutely true. And so that was one reason why I wanted to chat with you was because I, I just don't know how I would have functioned or or lived under the, that you are. Oh, I, I tell you still more than half the days I wake up and I'm like, how am I alive? And in fact, I've done a lot of like, uh, EMDR, hypnosis, because obviously the amount of medical trauma and just general trauma that I have from how many medical emergencies I've had, and we're talking like 10 or 15,000 of them, separate occasions, whether it's like I'm vomiting and I can't stop, and now I'm just nonstop vomiting, or I'm in so much pain in my pelvis that I think my heart's going to stop. Yeah, yeah. Where I was like, I'm literally, this is, there's no way a person, I just knew there's no way a person can continue to live through this and live this way. And in this much pain and dysfunction, I knew eventually I was going to die. And that's what really lit a fire underneath my butt. It's not the fact that I'm going to die. Everybody dies. But the fact that I was going to die before I was age 30 of something preventable, I found extremely unacceptable. Definitely. And so I just put on my flaming sword and I was like, oh, you want to believe this isn't real? Here's my list of symptoms. And it's like 100 items per day, right, on average. And they're, well, you can't have that much. And I said, "Um, well, unfortunately, I do. (laughs) So you're going to help me or not? And I just got really assertive to the point of almost aggressive with people and said, are you going to help me or not? Do you believe me or not? Are you going to try or not? And that's what it took for me to wade through the hundreds and hundreds of doctors that I saw before I went to the cardiologist at Cedar sinai At this point with this autonomia, so dysfunctional, I couldn't even walk up a single flight of stairs. And he told me, you're lightheaded, you get dizzy, you're really flexible, you have all these problems with your GI, you can't, you know, run, you can't do all the, and I was, I was just like shocked. I couldn't believe that somebody was describing my symptoms to me. And then he said, okay, you have POTS, which I kind of knew because I got diagnosed when I'm 12, 13. And they told me eat salt, wear compression, right? Just kind of like keep exercising and you'll be fine. Right. Uh, And then he also said, by the way, you also have mast cell and Ehlers-Danlos. And I said, "Uh, excuse me, what is that? I'd never heard of it before. And I'm fully convinced that if I would have heard it, if I would have heard of it, if I could have read about it, I would have absolutely known that's me. Yeah. Because I'm so like from the velvety skin to the hypermobility, to the GI problems, to the looking really young, literally I went to buy, I don't drink alcohol, but I went to buy alcohol and I got ID and I'm 35 because I look like 18. 
and how terrible that's been in this system where young women are not believed in this current medical system, period. So the fact that I still look young has not been helpful. Definitely. Yeah. Um, But that's what I tell people when they reach out and they say, how do I survive? Basically, because I do have, I would say probably twice a month, I have people reach out to me and say, I want to kill myself. And I have to be like, you know, I know it's really hard, but if you give up on you, you're giving up on your family. Yeah. You know, and if you have family that loves you, you can't do that to them. No. And, and, and truthfully, there are, and and there are several listeners and I get, so I get many messages a day. Yes. And it's amazing to me, you know, how alone some people are. Yeah. It's amazing. And, and truthfully, I didn't really think I had it that bad. And people have messaged me and they've told me, no, Christy, you kind of do have it bad. And I'm bad. Like, yeah. Yeah. It sounds bad to me. Yeah. It's like, I mean, and I'm really hypermobile so much so that I can dislocate my wrist, like literally doing the dishes. Oh yeah. I mean, there's like trying to open up a car <laughs> or something and, you know, but there are so many people that are thriving and that I admire them. Yeah. Because they're able to get up and go out and do things. Yeah. You mentioned the brain fog now. Consider yes. that everything that you've been through and yeah. everything that you have found out and accomplished and successfully been able to work on. I know you're not over the GI issues. I know the endometriosis, all this. Yeah, there's some of it that's going to drag. And part of the biggest issue has been accepting that on some level, this may be as good as it gets. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Are you at the point where, okay, you know, basically now the brain fog is like the worst of, of your situation. Mm Mm-hmm. But it's also like that's not going to improve until my body is more stable and functioning functioning normally. Um, for example, think of your knees like a piston, right? They move forward and back. They should move forward and back within one plane of motion. Ha-ha! The first time I did aquatic physical therapy and they had me bicycle, my knee was going left, right, yeah. up, down, <laughs> side to side, over the place. And they said, um, is that how you ride a bicycle? And I said, yes. And they said, um... So, yeah, you need to be doing aquatic VT once a week for the rest of your life then. Yeah. No. It, Very important information to know. Okay. Like, that's something I can do. So, I try to really focus on when I wake up, the first thing I tell myself is, do I care enough to try? Because that's what it takes. Do I love myself enough to get out of this bed right now? Right. And try, even if I haven't showered in a week. Like right now, I haven't showered in a week. It's too freaking hot here in LA. It's dangerous for me. I'm not going to put myself at risk of going to the ER just to have clean hair. It's not worth it. No, you have to look. So also prioritizing myself in that way where I'm like, yes. I know I'm not the most clean I've ever been, but at the same time, I'm safe. It, and that safety has to trump everything. Exactly. That That's the thing. It, it, it's not only a mental acceptance of no. that you know your body's only going to function at, at so much you know right today but it's a matter of what are you able to prioritize and realize do you need that bath every day do you need to right. wear hair every day right People don't realize that those are the things that yeah. we have to probably i mean you have to choose yeah. even for for example for myself i've had a pixie cut for 15 or 20 years because i physically exhausted myself just taking care of long hair yeah 
And why should I do that? When this hair I get out, I put some product in it and I brush it once and I move on with my life. And I only do that once or twice a week. And that's why, why not make your life easier? And no, exactly. everything that I've been able to do to make my life easier, I do. No, and, and that's part of the acceptance and mentally, you know, getting yourself to, to where you learn that you have limitations and that you yes. live with those limitations. Now, are you yeah. at work? Um, I do, but it's for my husband's business and it's extremely part-time. We're talking like five to 10 hours a week. The reason being the doctor's office takes so much time. Yes. And I might have 15 to 20 in an average week because here's the thing. I lived 33 years or whatever with no medical care. I'm not living that way anymore. I have an option to get it. I'm going to take it. And I told everybody, my husband, my family, I said, I don't care. Honestly, I don't care if we go broke. You know why? At least I'll be alive, functional, knowing how to take care of myself. Not injured. You think that we pay a lot now. All it takes is me to get sick with something or injured with something. And I'm in the hospital for six months and we have like a $200,000 bill. So this is the preventative piece. It's a more than full-time job that I'm not compensated at all for. No, that's that's also what I tell people when they ask me what I do for work. I say I keep myself alive. Yeah. Because that's the God's honest truth. No, it really is. I, I, I never really thought about it like that, but you're right. It it, it is for me, it's a full time job. Full-time because, job. You know, just trying to realize I have to breathe properly. I, I'm right. not, I have to, to do this. Things that you would never it, it, that you take for granted because yeah. I, I lose those abilities. But you're right. It is a full-time job trying to keep yourself going. I I think it's wonderful that you are able to go to so many doctors that understand what you're going through. Yes. I'm really lucky. But it's because I pushed through the hundreds and hundreds of doctors who told me to my face, I'm a liar. It's not real. This doesn't happen to people. This is impossible. Why am I wasting their time? I've had people say terrible things to my face through this process. And it's not right, but that's the reality. No. And so I also tell people the only person who knows your truth is you. You're the only person who can articulate it to doctors and stuff. Because your family can try, but they're not going to be able to in the same way that you can. And I know that. Doctors will immediately shut down also when you have something rare that they haven't heard of and they have to say the words, I don't know. It's very triggering for a lot of them for some reason. No, that it, you're right. It, it is. It, I would rather have a doctor tell me, I really don't know what's going on, but guess what? We're going to find out together. Yes. So I, I would rather, you know, that's what I would rather hear. And what I want to know, what is it that you feel, because the fact that you come from a small town and able to move, and and I'm not, you know, I'm not sitting there saying, ah, ha, ha, lucky, you've got it better than anybody else. Right, of course, I know. But I am, uh, that is one thing that I consistently try to remind myself of in the morning too. So I have this whole morning routine where mentally and emotionally, I'm like, 
you can do this. Come on, let's go. Right. Like I literally have to do that to be like, you can sit upright. Now you can put one leg on the floor and then you can put the next. And then if you're standing and you take a couple steps, you can continue to do the next step and the next step and the next step, because I have like a whole hour long routine that I do in the morning to basically get me like ready to be physically upright so that I can walk to the car. Yes. Especially this time of year when it's so hot, but it's also like, it's working, you know? So like, I'm not gonna, the results speak for themselves, but a really huge part of the issue for me, a huge part of the problem was I didn't get diagnosed when I'm young. I, I do agree with you on, on the getting diagnosed. I, I, I'm happy that we met for another reason it is because it's so nice to hear it. It's, it's so nice to hear that you go through, this is, I don't want it's not going to come out right, but the fact that you go through so much just to get up and to start doing things, it's mm-hmm. helped me accept better. Yeah that I need to do so as well. Like right now I'm bed rest because my husband guilted me into it. And that's why I'm in the bed. Oh, it's so hard. The hardest thing to do uh, is to lay there. Yeah, It's the hardest thing I've ever had to do. I spent three years bedridden in excruciating pain. And it was absolutely harder than leaving a small town alone with all of this. Harder than moving across the country from Seattle to Los Angeles alone. Yes. The hardest experience I've ever had is having to be in bed Yes, and you're totally relying on everybody else for help. And you just feel like a literal rag doll, like a helpless kitten. Exactly. I mean, going to the restroom, you have to hope somebody's there to help you. And if not, and then that's a whole problem and that can be a whole drama. And I've definitely had those experiences before where I've had accidents and had to salvage it. And it's happened to me in public. One time it happened to me at the beach in Malibu. And those beach bathrooms are like, I mean, it's basically like a porta potty with some running water. It's really bad. And I was like, okay, now what do I do? Because so... It's also been me preparing, knowing that's going to happen and accepting at some point that might happen. You know what? It's not a place of shame or blame. I didn't ask for it to happen, but unfortunately it does. And what I can do to help myself is be prepared for that inevitability. So in my car, I have a change of clothes, a change of underwear, a change of socks, a change of, you know, everything that I need because I've had those circumstances before. And the car specifically, it's also because where I'm from, you drive maybe for a hundred miles just to see a movie on opening day or to buy new socks, literally. Like I'm so far from anything in my hometown in rural Montana where I'm from that I got so used to that mentality of I better have everything I need to survive in this car with me right now. And that's just helped you with, I mean, everything. It definitely seems- the preparation. Yes, knowing that because I'm from a place where if you don't have it or you forget it or you didn't buy it or you forgot about it, that's it. That's- You're not getting it. Well, you you have a great attitude, and that was one reason why I wanted you to 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 come on because I and I because I always feel that I can learn from every guest that comes on. They'll always yeah. something that will help me feel a little bit better, and I believe that that helps you know, other listeners and things like that. And the fact that you came 
from a small town and weren't getting the help that you needed to now it's it's like you're inundated you've got doctors everywhere what is it and like 50 specialists like an obscene amount of doctors and i'm so grateful and lucky for every single one what is honestly. your goal? what is your goal because you've suffered it sounds like because you seem to have a very pay it forward kind of mentality i don't yeah. feel like you're just gonna sit back and be like okay I'm oh making- well i'm good now so everything's fine right and- <laughs> No, I'm definitely not that kind of personality. Well, I only took care of me, so screw everybody else. Right. You know, um, I think one of the most important things that I've instituted, uh, so much of this is it's mental, it's emotional. Now, that's not to say that I don't have times where I totally break down. I was like screaming in my kitchen a couple weeks ago because I had this thought that this is never going to end. And this has been my whole life and it's going to be my whole life until I die. And it's hard. It's very difficult to have that thought and to think it's also factual. I'm not doom and glooming. I'm really not creating a narrative that isn't real. That is the fact, right? right? That's a fact. And so facing that, even though it's hard, has really been helpful. But I would say generally the easiest thing for me is when I'm in those modes where I'm feeling sorry for myself, the first thing I do is get on socials and try and help other people. Yeah. That's literally what I do. I say, okay, I can stew in this and feel like, you know, poop for the next five days because it's going to trigger such a bad emotional episode. And I'm just going to feel totally despondent and like life isn't worth living and none of this matters. And I know it's not true, but it's very hard to feel different. And then I think, okay, well, maybe the information that I have from Casa Kalina, because I'm with this EDS specialty program, Maybe it can help other people. You know, maybe I know the solution for somebody else's really severe problem. And I've also learned so much from these social media groups, almost more than all of these doctors combined. Oh, that's so true. That's so very true. I'm still waiting for my doctor to call me. We're going on three weeks now for him to quit out of medication that he put me on that I was able to go on social media and you know, not Dr. Google it. I was able to ask people that actually take the drug themselves and say, yes. okay, tell me your experience. It's like going right to the horses. Absolutely. That we have to do that. It's crazy that we have to do that, but that's what I do. And so what I'll also do is bring that in to specialists and say, look, I'm not the only person who has this. And just because it's rare doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Or I've used that as leverage with my physicians because now I found the right people who are open-minded want to do continuing education these physicians who really want to help and want to learn and it's not to say that other doctors don't but so many physicians are taught we are infallible we are perfect the decisions we make are perfect they're literally like taught that in school it's the way in which that whole business functions is off the presumption that that doctor is a demigod who is infallible, they can make no mistakes, correct? Yeah. And going to them with this social media information from, say, hundreds or thousands of people who have had this experience too, very helpful. But of course, it took me a long time to find the doctor that would even look at a printout that I brought in with me. That's true as well. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, it's not like the first one I went to. I went into this one uh, OBGYN's office with a printout of endometriosis, and it was had had, had all the symptoms. And I had 98%. There was only like two that I'd never experienced. And I said, I'm 100% sure I have this disease. Um, will you help me or not? And she laughed in my face and was like, this is why people shouldn't doctor Google. And I said, give me my medical records right now. And I stood there hand out and I said, I'll wait. And I did. <laughs> I just stood there like anytime because the thing too that I tell people is you don't have to deal with it. None of us asked for this. None of us asked to be disabled and with an invisible disease that nobody knows about. None of us asked for our lives to be torn upside down and completely stopped and every, every dream that we've ever had crushed. So the least that these medical professionals can do is talk to me with respect and dignity, period. And what's really helped me is drawing that firm boundary with people. Hey, no. I know you've had a long day or whatever. I know you don't believe me, but guess what? You don't get to talk to me that way. Nobody's talking to me that way. I don't care who you are. And then because you're demanding respect, some doctors take a step back and say, oh, this must be real and it must be really bad then. And it's so unfortunate that I've had to be that person. I'm such a peaceful, pacifistic <laughs> kind of a personality that I've had to learn also to carry that sword, to be ready to fight back. That's, it's, I think, the most important thing for yourself because nobody's yep. going to show up and say, this is real. She's not lying. Nobody's going to go show up and say, oh, it's okay. We're going to find the right help you need. If that person doesn't help you, you don't get help, period. No, you're exactly right, and it, it's a shame. I, your mentality, though, it is a fighter's mentality. I can tell yes. that, and yeah. it, it's a. And it's partly because of where I grew up, where we had no access, right? None. So I kept telling myself, "I've made it to Los Angeles County. Surely there's one person in 11 million people that can help me, right?" It's just statistically impossible that there isn't somebody out there who knows what this is and can give me the right diagnosis and can help me through the process. So that's what really kept me going, too, is I said, there's got to be somebody. If I can just figure out what this is, then I can make it better. And I couldn't give up on myself. After being symptomatic for so long and having all these issues for so long, it was also, I knew something's wrong. When it got really to the point where I was bedridden, I wasn't eating. And at one point I was five, I'm five foot 10. And I was like 115 pounds. And I said, I can't, I'm gonna die. And I, whatever, people die, you get an accident, whatever things happen, but dying from this when it's preventable and treatable, I found completely unacceptable. And I just said, if I have to be a raging, you know what, to get things done. Then that's what you'll do. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm doing. So I went in there with that intense Montana attitude that some people have there. Like, nope, you're listening to me. And nope, this is non-negotiable. And nope, that's how you talk to me. And as, as soon as I did that, then everything changed. And the doors opened up because I think people saw, oh, she's not 
just taking our you know what anymore and she's ready to fight for this and she's not going to give up okay now what would because i'm so happy that you came on the program today because i wanted to have someone come on that hadn't had children that experienced this their, their whole lives has has taken a stand and is now standing up for themselves what is it you would like someone to take away from this podcast today about you to pay it forward? What is it you would like to share? I think the most important thing is that you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth the fight for yourself. You're worth the time. You're worth the money. Because let's be real, this medical system, it ain't cheap. And there's so many times where I say, man, I could go on a vacation to Japan for what I just paid for that. But at the same time, I can't go on a vacation to Japan (laughs) if I can't get out of bed. Right. So it's been making those tough decisions for myself, also financially, to say it's temporary that I'm in this program where I'm going to be doing all these appointments once a week. Eventually, I will get to the point where I know what to do from home and I just do that. If I can push myself through the next few years of these, the testing, for example, right now I'm doing testing for like CCI, AAI, GRE, all those issues with neck, and those are not easy to get diagnosed or treated either. Like, it's just been continually pushing myself through the system and saying, I'm going to continue to try. And I think that's really been the key to my success. Honestly, it's just not giving up. It's not giving up on myself. It's not giving up on my family, the people who love me and want to see me not just lay in bed all day and not be able to go anywhere or do anything. And that if you're in a place where it's a medical desert, you have my permission to leave. Um, Because I left Montana, a place that is notorious for its beauty, but also for its kind of intense um, rednecky people and moved to California on purpose. There's been a lot of arguments with people about why would you possibly leave such a beautiful place and how could you leave to such a terrible place as California? And I always tell them, you know, you're not living my life and you're not in my body, but if you must know, I have a rare disease and I would have died had I stayed here. So even making the decision for myself, I need to be in, a, in an area with infrastructure for medical. I knew that. I knew something's wrong. So I did what I needed to do for myself, even if other people didn't support or understand it. And that's the reason that I'm here in Los Angeles, able to stand, able to walk, able to eat, able to talk. Because I pushed through a lot. And I pushed through a lot of doubt from other people too. The first thing you have to know about this is it's real. Even if nobody else in your life ever sees it, it's real. And I see you and I see how hard you're working. And you have to keep going. I mean, you can't give up on yourself now. That's also what I said. My gosh, if I would have killed myself, I would have done it when I'm 10 or 11. When it was really bad, when I first started puberty, right? Like, why did I go through all of this hell to give up now? I'm not going to give up now. (laughs) I finally found help and support. And I'm finally feeling better. And things are finally improving for me. 
So just keep going. There are people out there who can help you. There are people out there who can make you feel better. There's lots of new medications. There's lots of new modalities. Even like the fascia, I didn't even think about that, but it makes a lot of sense. There is going to be somebody in your area, even if it's a rural area, who can help you. Yes. And you have to find them. I mean, now I'm at the place where I'm privileged enough that I spend one month of the year up there in Montana because it's too hot here in Los Angeles for me to function. But also I'm going and finding providers there who now are familiar. So listen, if there are providers in rural Montana who knows what Ehlers-Danlos is, there's going to be somebody in your area too. That's, yes, that's. that's and even all it takes is one good PT because they're going to be connected almost always with somebody else who knows more. Exactly. And they might know, oh, in Denver, there's a specialist or in Idaho Falls or up in Calgary and Alberta. Like I would have traveled anywhere to have found out answers earlier, but they also didn't have those answers earlier. They only knew about this from what, 2007 or something? Yeah. So also keep in mind that this is an emerging disease and it may take 200 or 250 doctors like me to get the right diagnosis, but I wouldn't take a single second of that time back because then now I have help. I've got a disability placard for the car. Huge, huge. Holy cow. Can't believe I didn't have that before. Oh, yeah. I have a lifetime membership to all of the national parks because I still am ambulatory, so I still can hike with braces on, but who cares? You can I can't believe that I if you would have told me six years ago that I'd be back out on the hiking trail, I would have been like, get out of here, you're lying. I I I think that's great. And, and Kim, I, I tell you, I I I I hope you realize I, I want to thank you for coming on today because I I love your attitude, I love your spunk, I love the fighter in you, and yeah. I think that will help. A lot of people and I wanted to you know emphasize the fact that you did come from a small rural Montana town absolutely you know and where I was expected to do ranch work I was expected to contribute physically and I also told my parents many times hey this isn't it's more than just like my back hurts this feels dangerous for me to do right and you, you fought for yourself. Kim, I, I want to thank you for coming on AWOL Zebra. And, you know, anytime you have updates, I want to get you back on, okay? Definitely, yeah. I mean, one of the things that I want to mention before I go is I'm working on both an album uh, because I'm a musician, right? I'm recording my own album about this and also writing a book about it. So those will be coming out at some point. You know how it is with this. I mean, it's like one step forward three steps back, but I'm still making progress and I'm determined to get them out into the world. So I will update you with that as well. Okay, but thank you so much for having me, Christy. I oh, really appreciate it. That's what it. I was going to ask you because when you mentioned musician, okay. Yes. Yes. So, we so have I'm working on it. It will be out, I hope within the next year, but I got to do surgery and all this other stuff too. You know how it is, but I'm working on it. Um, and just to show other people also that it's possible that you can be, seriously chronically ill and you can still put out art into the world no this is it doesn't have to stop you because if it hasn't stopped me yet it won't stop anybody outstanding kim ryberg thank you for taking your time to share with us today i'm looking thank forward you so much Christy. a pleasure thank you thank you take care okay yeah. bye kim bye that was kim ryberg on a